This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin, and with me this week are two fantastic human beings, Nick White. Hey. And Paul Jaceley. Hello. Thank you both for joining me this week. It is weird times. It is weird times. I'm just going to say that. Uh, I know that we've kind of been beating around the bush about it, but um, yeah, I'm just going to straight up acknowledge it. it's weird times. So um, I'm still going to ask the question that I ask every single week on this show, which is how have you been? How have comic books been? And I guess I'm going to start with you, Nick. Well, I mean, weird weird times is a, is a good way of kind of describing it. Uh, we're sort of at a point where one day blurs into the next, and that hasn't really changed me that much i still struggle with distinguishing like monday from thursday on a regular basis so um yeah yeah um some the more things change the more things stay the same um yeah it's just been kind of like you you find yourself naming the birds at the bird feeder or (laughs) uh getting extra uh concerned with you know the what your what your neighbors are doing or the comings and goings of your your neighbors and yeah I, I in some ways I sort of feel like oh who is that is that Spencer Tracy in 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 Rear Window or is that Jimmy Jimmy Stewart I think yeah it's Jimmy Stewart that's who it is yeah so um just gonna date myself here I'm just kidding that movie came out like <laughs> just gonna, gonna like say. like. <laughs> like 30 years before 40 years before i was born i don't know but um yeah things things have been okay i've i've had some time to to do some reading mm-hmm. so in terms of things i've been reading uh i have gotten around to reading the first two volumes technically the only two volumes out of outer darkness nice. and this is a book by the one and only john layman with afu chan on art and pat Perso on letters Pepperso has probably lettered maybe four million books at this point <laughs> over the course of his career. It's it's mm-hmm. insane. Um, I think most people know Layman for his humor infused series uh, Chew uh, or Leviathan or his upcoming series also named Chew, a spinoff homonym of his other title, uh, which. I don't know if he decided he was going to try to find the hardest way to pitch and brand and distinguish between his books, but he went and did it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, His old series is C-H-E-W, and the new one that's upcoming is C-H-U. So uh, that'll be fun. Um, And, you know, I've I've enjoyed John Lehman books. I've never super loved them. I think his fusion of action and body horror has sometimes even been a little of a bridge too far for me in terms of the grossness factor mm-hmm. but nick you read alien books and predator <laughs> books man. i was just about to go there so congratulations <laughs> on not by much but beating me to the punch um that said yeah but i i, I honestly think hot take in coming here I think this might be his best book. Yeah. Of yeah. all yeah. of them. I think mm-hmm. I would agree. Well, now it's not a fucking hot take. So <laughs> anyway, guys, Xander, you want to rewind the tape and uh, we'll put this as a decently lukewarm take. <laughs> um, yeah. And what's interesting is uh, I'd never really heard of Afu Chan before. Mm-hmm. Which 
at least I feel a little bit better because when I looked him up again, had to look him up on Comic Vine, not Comic Book DB, which is a free plug for Comic Vine, even though um, maybe they don't deserve it. Um, so he doesn't have a huge uh, kind of track record. He did Immortal Iron Fists, that's plural, mm-hmm. uh, which was a 2017 miniseries that was exclusive to Comixology Original. He mm-hmm. did that with uh, Carr Andrews, and uh, he's also bounced around doing a bunch of variant covers for Marvel, which makes sense because his style is super distinctive. Um, it's it's really original. I, I think it's a really interesting fusion of some other aesthetics that I've seen before, but it's hard to kind of enunciate on. Um, and and then in terms of like what this book is about, uh, it is in outer space. It is sort of a deep space horror series. So yes, it does seem like it would be a good fit for me. Um, the book does start with a cold open that cuts to a passage from the Bible, um, which is always kind of a little red flag for me. And that's not because of the source. I'm not like, oh, the Bible. Um, you know, I studied the Bible for quite some time and like my religious anthropology stuff at, at, at college. But it mm-hmm. always seems like whenever someone quotes the Bible, like some people see that as like a shorthand for quote unquote, we demand to be taken seriously. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, sure, yeah, it's yeah. like, I'm going to quote the Bible. So you better listen because this is going to be some serious stuff. And it's, you know, which is always kind of funny because sometimes they don't even understand what they're quoting or they don't understand the context of the passage or they're just, like I said, like people see quoting the Bible as like shorthand for like serious business incoming, right? Like, uh, listen, Nick, I read Hellblazer, okay? I understand <laughs> the seriousness of the right, Bible, okay? Right, right, <laughs> right, right. And, and so it's it's always kind of interesting when someone does that because it always kind of piques my attention and I'm like, okay, let's see, let's see where this goes because it sounds like you're trying to like, you know, puff your work up here. Um, yeah. Uh, so it kind of follows this first officer of Riggs. He gets in trouble. He instigates a mutiny. There's kind of there's a lot of mutinies in this book, um, <laughs> but he instigates a mutiny in order to save his crew because it results in them having to jettison their cargo. So now it even sounds a little bit like the Han Solo job of the hut relationship in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's offered like uh, a new ship, a full commission, captain's chair, no criminal charges if he'll do one more job that takes him into the outer darkness um, on a retrieval mission. So it's in, it's now in like that one more heist, one more job sort of thing, which again, um, like a lot of these things sound like they start to add up. It almost sounds like a list of detractions, but all of these things are navigated so well that I think that's kind of what I'm in disbelief about, uh, especially because it's this book is like this weird fusion of horror, but also religion and also like Star Trek, but also like Dungeons and Dragons and all of this shit should not work together. Like mm-hmm. there should be a point where you start like having elements of it that you just can't pull off or it's just too much of a hodgepodge. Um, it's also kind of an interesting work because I think in a lot of like sci-fi futuristic utopia things, we see kind of this undercurrent or more overt current of the idea that like humanism will end up, you know, triumphing over everything and and Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, that religion was viewed by some as sort of a something that was creating discord between different parts of humanity and that that would be replaced by this vein of humanism and yet 
with Outer Darkness, you kind of have this idea that like humanism and technology and 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 science and religion, like they all uh, evolve and and mutate and change one another and 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 kind of uh, fuse over time in a way that like everything just kind of grows concurrently instead of one thing replacing another, which is sort of fascinating and, and interesting mm-hmm. because really what were all those people on the star trek ships really doing you know like there are tons of people on these ships <laughs> right <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i mean chance i i showed up for layman and i think most people are showing up for layman obviously he's the bigger name here but chan like deserves most of the praise here on this book he is he is doing so much heavy lifting i really love the color palette of this book it's like a weird combination of like yellows and pinks and indigos and browns but they're all sort of like muted tones Mm -hmm. this book Mm -hmm. doesn't have that like bright blinding neon hue that's like this is the future (laughs) it's like you know it's not like it's yeah it's like pinks and purples and, and and yellows but it's not like gem in the holograms pink and purples and (laughs) yellows okay like it's not you know you don't need to wear shades because it's that bright um chan's uh alien designs are fantastic too like it's i know this is like such a niche thing to be good at but it feels like we've almost created every semi-humanoid alien design out there (laughs) at this (laughs) point (laughs) and so to see some new ones it's like wow okay i didn't think this was possible and like <laughs> chance artwork like the the designs have this sort of simplistic like hard symmetrical geometry to them mm-hmm. it, this won't make sense to some of the listeners just look it up um and i i, I really really like it i i think it's fantastic yeah. like it's it's interesting this book goes into all of these different sort of philosophical religious things about like in the future your soul can be in can be saved and people can be revived provided you have like insurance which right. it's like uh oh maybe we're not that far out of the woods than we are now um <laughs> so yeah and and everybody's got a secret agenda everybody wants the captain dead um there are certain elements that kind of remind me of the thing where it turns into like mm. a who can you trust who's really um you know being possessed or safe or things like that it's i there's a lot of tiptoeing going on in my discussion of this book i think but that's also because i don't want to spoil things for people if you've been waiting on this book get on this book i think it's (laughs) layman's best work i think chan's artwork is a breath of fresh air that you probably haven't encountered before i will give 30 seconds to also say i read over 400 pages of powers this is the Michael <laughs> Avon Oming on art, Brian Michael mm-hmm. Bendis series um, that began at Image in 2000 and was there until 2004, where it switched to Marvel's Icon imprint. Um, I think part of the reason this book is sort of ruined is that other books have come along in the, I don't know, nearly 20 years since this started and have riffed and revised and refined this formula of what if cops and superheroes dot 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 um have sort of like like that's been revised and refined so many times by this point that like I don't want to slam this book too hard because I think um this book stumbled so that uh Lark and Rucka's GCPD could could run um I and I don't want to roll into Bendis too hard but I will say like 
I think some of it is just because it's 20 years ago and it's Bendis. And don't ask me why everything I read by Bendis is like really old Bendis. That's just the way mm-hmm. it is. But, oh my God. Like, I hope his letterer was paid by the word. Maybe. <laughs> like, I would not want to be Michael Avon Oming back then because no one's going to see your art. Like, it's literally mm-hmm. all of it's covered with text bubbles. Yeah. Like, it's all... Yeah. And 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 the the page layouts are just terrible. In guided view, you're you are literally going to swipe through your screen. Like you're gonna by the end of this book, your finger will be going out the back of your tablet. Like, right. <laughs> um. So that's that that's my one minute on powers. It was um, it was not that's the your... smartest thing I've ever done, but <laughs> I can at least say I I did it for the show. Um. I Thank read you. powers. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yes, thank you for your sacrifice, Nick. Yeah. Yes, yes. Anyway, so, so so brave and so quietly sacrificing my time. Yes. yes. <laughs> Anyways, Paul, what about you? Um, how have you been after after all of that? Um, well, <laughs> um, no, things have been things have been good actually. In my end, um, I'm someone that really craves a regular routine. So sheltering at home, not working uh, regularly, has been kind of tough. But um, I've established kind of a daily routine that allows me a lot of time to read comics and I've read a ton of comics. So it's it's actually been kind of nice. Um, I've been working my way through the last uh, stack of physical books I picked up from my shop before everything closed down here in Michigan. Um, That included X-Ray Robot number one. This is the Dark Horse series that Mike Allred and Laura Allred are doing. It's a, uh, I don't want to uh, give, get too much into it. Cause again, I think it's a book that um, I don't want to spoil. I would just say that this book the best way I could describe it would be like a psychedelic sci-fi book. You know, you know what you're going to get when you get Michael Allred, especially when he's doing something creator-owned on his own. Um, it's a book about a team of scientists who are trying to explore interdimensional travel. They create a robot to do that, but the robot is basically being controlled by a, a scientist that stays in our dimension. So the the robot ventures in to explore other dimensions when it returns the scientist that was controlling it starts having flashes of alternate realities, right? Blurring with his everyday experience. Suddenly yeah. he's, his wife is a different woman or suddenly his kids are, are different or they don't exist. It's like flashes of the alternate realities. The The conclusion uh, more or less is that the, the robot's mental connection to the scientist gets blurred and the robot, of course, shows up from an interdimensional trip saying he's witnessed the end of the world and he needs the scientist's help to save it. So... It's yeah. There's a lot going on here, but with Michael Allred, it's all just so forward moving. There's not a lot of space to catch your breath, so to speak, because the way his art works. And there's some interesting body horror stuff about that connection between a robot body and the scientist connecting it, uh, controlling it. So I guess if you want a sort of pop art version of a David Cronenberg movie, this is the comic for you. You know, I actually really liked it, and I can't wait for the book to uh, come back. You know, after this uh, brief hiatus, I guess. So yeah, that's that sounds <laughs> a pop art version of Cronenberg. I'm already sick to my stomach. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, that might be a selling point for some people. Maybe not yeah, so much yeah. for others. So yeah, it works for me. Very now. cool. That's all. I'll leave it at that. Um, as far as my sort of digital reading, I've been taking advantage of the extra rentals I get each month from Hoopla. I've been working my way through Astro City, the book that uh, Kurt Busiek wrote. Uh, with art by Brett Anderson and Alex Ross. This started back in the mid-90s, went through a couple different volumes. I think it 
just recently wrapped up officially back in 2018, I think. Uh, but it went through three or four different publishers over its span, a couple different volumes, which made the reading order pretty tough to navigate. I think the the, the collections I've been reading, the way that the uh, issues were put into it would give you an aneurysm, Nick. Um, oh, so no. Like, so... <laughs> The f- I had actually read the first collection of this a few years ago. Um, I really liked it. It's called, I think, Welcome to the Big City or something. That collects the first six issues of Volume 1. That's Volume 1 is six issues. I just read Astro City Confession, which is the second collection, second trade, which collects Volume 2 of Astro City's issues 4 through 9. And then the next volume, the next trade, collects <laughs> Volume 2, issues oh, 1 no. through 3, and issues 10 through 13. So, um, <laughs> I love shitty organization. It's yes. like my favorite thing. <laughs> that so that I want to get that out of the way. Just because I thought it was amusing. The book mm-hmm. itself is actually really great. I can understand why they did that that way because those issues are sort of thematically themed, um, in a way that would make sense if you read them together. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the yeah. book is essentially a very similar to the book that Busick did with Alex Ross Marvels back in mm-hmm. the early 90s, where it's the man-on-the-street view of the Marvel Universe. What would the world be like if superheroes really existed? And this is a take on that. Obviously, it's a made-up... Well, I mean, all comic book cities are made up. Guys, stop the show. <laughs> it, Astro City is a place where it's like, you know, it basically is Metropolis, and all of the heroes in it are sort of analogs for big two heroes. You have the Batman analog, you have the Superman analog, you have the Marvel... You have the Fantastic Four analogs. But what's really great is that I think Ross and who Ross did a lot of the character designs and design for the city, um, even though he's not doing the interior artwork. So the has a very lived in feel to it. Astro City feels like a real place. You know what I mean? It feels like it has a history that New York has or Metropolis has, you know, in that in that sense. So it's a really interesting book. Um it, again, if you like that sort of man on the street, what if Super is a real kind of vibe? And Busick is such like an optimistic writer. There's this just this Silver Age sort of um, optimism that shines through the book that uh, is kind of a nice uh, sense of relief given our current situation. So I'm enjoying right. going through that. So hopefully uh, I'll have enough time to kind of plow through the rest of it while I'm uh, sheltering here at home. Yeah, that's that's a big series too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think it ends up all collected. It's like 52 issues over the different volumes. So right, yeah. Very cool. It it sounds like I would definitely be a fan of that. Like I'm I'm a fan of any book that like I know that fifty or seventy or a hundred years from now when people try to like decipher our culture and things like that, like that like there's a part of me that's very proud that we've made that super difficult for people. That uh <laughs> right. yeah. that yeah. like they'll try to decipher like our history and be like, fuck this. Like, right, right. Who knows what this? Why is this? Why is this? Why is this the third volume number one that came out this year? What's yes. going on? I give up. Yes. See, th- I'm surprised you're not a Marvel fan, Nick. There was a whole, I you know, be. couple years like this. <laughs> um, there was like a year with like five Squirrel Girl. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Uh, well, for me, I I've been reading a lot of manga. I'll be completely honest. I don't know what it is, but sitting down and reading, you know, ten to twenty chapters of a manga volume or manga series is so easy to me it's like sitting there eating nachos like i just can't stop um but i have been trying to like you know force myself to sit down and read some western comics because i keep i keep buying them and i keep i have a lot of them and there's just so many books that i haven't read that are just sitting in my digital library so 
I did sit down and I read um, the Comixology original, The Stone King. This is by Kel McDonald with art by Tyler Crook. And yes. if you've never seen art by Tyler Crook before, I think you'll fall out of your chair because his art is incredible. Um, but I, there's a lot of Comixology originals out there, and I thought that this one looked the prettiest, so I sat down and I read it. It's a, it's a five-issue series. Um, the synopsis is when you become an adult, you have to prove yourself. At least that's how it works for Stoneport Thieves. Um, Ave is, has decided to illegally harvest healing moss from the Stone King, a mighty giant who roams the lands. Her theft goes even better than she could have dreamed. The biggest gem she's ever seen is her prize. But what she thought would buy her a ticket to adventure in a better life brings disaster instead. Now her home is in danger, and fixing her mistakes is the city's only hope. Um, from beginning to end, like I said, Crook's art is incredible. Like this is probably one of the prettiest CU books or CO books, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, the story is really quick and overall, like of the Comicsology original books that I have read, I think this one's very good. Um, some of the other ones that I read have been very short, or their stories feel like they were really rushed or not. I don't know. To me, like they don't feel like super well thought out, and I don't want to like poo-poo on any creators out there because i think there are is some really good stuff in comiXology originals work that they've been putting out i think they've they've managed to grab some really good creative teams to put these books out um but so far i i haven't been super impressed i've been very lukewarm on all of them but i think the stone king is a pretty good one i'm a big sucker for fantasy worlds i think crook's art helps a lot i think the characters that get established in the book are really really well done for five issue miniseries i think it's really hard to sell a character or set a set of characters and I think this book does it really well from issue one. Um, I mean, I think I would love to read more in this universe. I think if there was another Stone King book or another book that talked about more of this city or other things, it would be super good. Um, so if you get a chance, I would say sit down. I think Comixology is doing some crazy sale on all their original books for like 99 cents for their right. volumes. I think this one is is well worth the full price, let alone the 99 cents. So um, I, I will say... I, I had a whole rant here about miniseries, but I'm not going to go into it because we're already running super long on the episode. <laughs> but um, my my big all caps text was, are 50 to 60 issue runs really what the people want now? Dot, 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 question mark. Um, I don't know. But otherwise, speaking of, you know, space books with crazy alien creatures, um, I did sit down and read The Green Lantern number one through seven. This is Grant Morrison with art by Liam Sharp with colors by Steve Olaf. And I picked these up a while ago, and I finally decided to dive into them last night. And this, to me, reads like a Morrison book. And I know, Paul, this might break your heart here. But like, <laughs> sure. at, at this point, a Morrison book to me means like it's Grant Morrison trying to disguise his book's true meaning in gibberish that looks like it's establishing new canon or growth inside the DCEU. Like mm-hmm. he's trying to say, look at how wild and crazy this universe is. Look at all this stuff that some future writer like a future Grant Morrison Jr. could pick up and say, I'm going to do an entire series about this guy whose head's a fucking volcano. Like <laughs> you could do that. Wait, sure. is that a book? That No, but like there is a character in the Green Lantern series where his head is a volcano. Right. It's it's crazy. I mean, I I, I like what he's trying to do. Awesome. It, it is. It's 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 very cool because I I like what he's trying to do. There, like the opening issue of this series is one of the Green Lanterns is a bacterium, and what they're trying to say is that you know all of the Green Lanterns like they they have this huge spread across the universe. Like it's no no size is a limit. Like they're they're there's a planet everywhere. that is a. Green Lantern. Right. Yeah. Right. right. There's a planet that's a Green Lantern. I mean, so what what I get that this book is trying to say is that it's a story about cops with a lot of power and that they're everywhere. And no matter what you do, they can get you. And so but I understand that like 
what he's trying to do is is trying to say that like there is there are cops with a lot of power and the will of those individuals is a double-edged sword it can be used for good and it can be used for great evil and it all it falls under the umbrella of being a quote-unquote space cop um and I, i like that a lot i think that it's it's great but there is a lot of fucking weird murky shit to get through to cut to the core of the book um now the question is, did I like it? Well, I definitely kept reading for seven issues. That's something that can be said. Um, <laughs> in in a weird way, you know, I was actually kind of hoping for an Alan Moore from Top Ten kind of twist, where the first few issues of the series is kind of a lot to take in. You're really overwhelmed by the details of the story, and you're wondering what how, does all of it make sense? Does any of it need to be included? Does it is is every little detail that they're bringing up super important? Um, and I don't think it actually got there with the series. And again, I only read the first seven issues. I own number eight. I should probably read the rest of it to actually answer that question. Um, but by you know by issue seven, I mean here's some spoilers for those of you who haven't been reading. Um, but you know Hal is trapped in the void of space inside of his ring. Um, in this 50s era retro futuristic melodrama- melodramatic story where he he is trying to rescue his ring's AI and there's a lot of shots that like it feels like there is this this man just trying to save this woman and like maybe that's the point but I don't know it felt like Liam Sharp's art is very much that of an older style I think that there is like something to be said in a lot of good ways about that I think it offers some really iconic beautiful shots like some of the paneling in this book is some of the best I've ever seen there are some openers to some of these issues that just floored me and especially that issue number seven there is this there's a series of motifs over and over throughout the book um, where there's a fuckload of prose in it which i actually didn't hate um where the the layout of the page is these various broken up pieces of the green lantern logo and i was just blown away by how creative that was um that being said like some of the themes of this book are like really it feels like they're leaning into this weird stuff like artistically where like it feels like man you did you have to draw like this super voluptuous person they're just that what's the need for that i don't know <laughs> um but i have number eight i kind of want to see where it goes i'm definitely waiting for like a green lantern sale before i buy any more of these because i don't know if i can justify four dollars an issue for this maybe mm-hmm. i should just go borrow the trades or something but i don't know i read it and it was uh it's pretty wild so paul i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> what, okay. what's up <laughs> I, yeah i this is here's the thing uh, I'm a noted Grant Morrison defender. I own I know, that. I know. You know, um, this book is has been a struggle for me because it's never clicked for me. There's a lot of interesting ideas in here, but it feels like Morrison doesn't really care to extrapolate on them at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're yeah. hinted at, but they're not followed up on. I will say I've been continuing to buy it, and I probably will continue to buy it, mainly for Liam Sharp's artwork. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. it's really incredible the way the book looks. And I think I talked about it when the first couple issues came out. Those first couple issues aren't very good. They do have a 2000 AD type vibe to them, the way the story mm-hmm. is laid out in the sort of artwork, which makes sense because both Morrison and Sharp work for 2000 AD way, way back. Um, but as the series goes on, it does feel like Morrison either gets distracted or hasn't, <laughs> hasn't quite put all the puzzle pieces together. So yeah. Yeah, I, I and again, yeah. I, I kind of waiting for that 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 click because like I don't know, I honestly think everybody and anyone should go read Alan Moore's top ten that he did with Gene Ha. Yeah. It's one of the coolest police procedural books I've ever read. Um, but he does Have this exact same thing. Well, yeah, yeah, haha, ha, Nick, it's don't don't get me started. Um, because I tried, but um. <laughs> But top ten, it does this same kind of thing where it introduces you into this weird, wild, insane world, and then by the end of it, I think more or excuse me, more does a really good job of clicking it all together. Yeah. Um, I'm waiting for that other shoe to drop in the Green Lantern. 
well, Mike, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, <laughs> you might be waiting for a while. So. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he's yeah. called Grant Morrison because he's basically Alan Moore's son. He's the next oh, iteration. Mm. I just we have to figured cancel the it podcast out. now. Yep. Uh, anyways, so right now, right now, comic books aren't coming out, um, and so that's been a staple of our show since we started it. Um, so in in lieu of doing something like you know what are you excited for that's eventually going to come back after the entire world is hopefully back to normal in some capacity uh, one of the things i kind of want to ask you guys about and we could do this quickly because like i said we're already running really long on the first half of our show but i kind of want to know what are you guys been digging what have you guys been excited about what's on your to read list like i kind of want this to be a little bit more of a free form thing i don't know if listeners out there if you like it let us know but um what are you guys i guess excited about in general or what do you have next to do I don't know. This is again. It's really free form. So I guess Paul, really quick, you know, yeah. what's what's up? Um, well, probably no surprise to anybody. I have been reading a lot of Judge Dread in addition to everything else. I'm continuing to plow through those complete case files collections. Um, I've just finished volume eight. Took me wow. a while to get through volume Oof. eight because this might be the this might be the first one that actually uh, I was underwhelmed by. Um, hmm. uh, very briefly, I'll say volumes four through seven. John Wagner and Alan Grant, the writers, are firing on all cylinders. That stuff is pretty much all magic uh, in all those collections. Volume 8 is probably them finally like getting tired of it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. There's actually a story that was supposed to be a mega epic, like a 25-chapter mega epic. They basically get tired of it and wrap it up after 14 and say, okay, well, we're actually not going to finish that story. They give like the <laughs> oh, most like no. cursory sort of wrap up to like, yeah, this here we go. This it's, it's done now. We're moving on. And that's kind of the sense you get throughout the entire book. So I'll just leave it mm-hmm. at that. Um, I'm still going to keep going, though. That won't stop me. Um, I've been on a big Bill Sienkiewicz kick. I recently uh, read nice. these, the stuff that he did with uh, Chris Claremont on the New Mutants. I've been reading Chris Claremont's original New Mutant stuff. And no offense to Sal Bushma or Bob McLeod, the other previous artists, but man, that book is so much better when Bill Sienkiewicz shows up. Um, it really changes the tone of the book for me. So I read a bunch of his issues of New Mutants. I went back to my long boxes and pulled out some other stuff I had bought of his over the years. I picked up the Electra Assassin miniseries he did with uh, Frank Miller a few months back. Oh, and, shit. Um, so I had those original issues. I'm going to go ahead and read those for the first time. And what's funny is I realized that the only other Miller Daredevil stuff I've read is the stuff he did with uh, David Mazzicelli. So I guess I like Frank Miller... When he's working with an artist whose name I have to like look up to make sure I'm spelling correctly. So, <laughs> um, if you don't I, have 17 plus letters in your last name, Paul's not gonna <laughs> yeah, read yeah. the book. I also pulled out the two the the only two issues of Big Numbers was so that the book that Sinkevich did with Alan Moore that was supposed to be a 12 issue series and they gave up after two issues. So I'm gonna finally get around to reading those. Um, and very quickly, I want to mention uh, the next thing on my to-read list is Friday Number 1. Yeah. This is a digital series that uh, Ed Brubaker is doing with Marcos Martin and uh, Munsta Vicente. It's available through Panel Syndicate, which is a digital platform. You can pay what you want for it. Uh, if you're a cheapskate, you can get it for free. Um, um, I don't know much about the book. It sounds like it's a sort of a occult mystery book set in the New, uh, new England by the girl coming back to her hometown uh, for the holidays from college and investigating some strange goings on. Basically, all you need to know is that's pay what you want. Ed Brubaker, Marcus Martin, enough said. Yeah, definitely. 
what about you, Nick? What's what's been up with you um, in in terms of things you're digging? I guess I don't know. We're gonna call this. What have you been digging? <laughs> well, you said it's gonna be free form, which won't be a struggle for me. Um, sure. <laughs> so uh, I've been designing a carbon twenty twenty one eighty five campaign. For those unaware, that's basically D and D. If you keep the D twenty system and you switch it over to cyberpunk. Um, yeah, cyberpunk doesn't seem like it's that distant of a future anymore, but, um, we'll see what happens. Um, I've also been trying to teach myself some of the map designing software out there for my games and failing at that, um, a lot. Uh, but, um, I mean, based on the books that Paul was talking about and and the creative teams on those books, uh, I'm feeling okay about giving up or just not feeling like I'm, you know, into something anymore because like they did it so mm-hmm. i can do it <laughs> um if they did it so can i um mm-hmm. i've also been reading the core rule book for the alien uh rpg which is published by free league they they some people might have heard of free league their series tales from the loop is now a amazon prime anthology series and their game mutant year zero uh is now actually also a video game um, and with that in mind, I've been kind of inspired to go back and reread some of my favorite Aliens uh, comic books. So I just started the Aliens 30th Anniversary Edition of the comic series that began with Dark Horse uh, in 1988 by writer Mark Verheiden and artist Mark Nelson. Uh, I've been reading the 30th Anniversary Edition um, because it... Uh, doesn't have all of the bad changes that inevitably happened to this book, like when they digitally colored it and personally, <laughs> I think, um, ruined it. Um, like, this was, like, I think early 2000s, not that great digital recoloring. I don't like it, so this book takes away the uh, digital recoloring. Um, it also um, keeps in all of the original changes. Uh, once Alien 3 came out, um, some of this book was no longer technically canon, um, and so Fox made them go back and change some, some of the storylines because Alien 3 more or less made some of it no longer work. Um, Interesting. But the 20th anniversary edition actually keeps all of those changes. Um, and I guess I would talk about what changes at length did this, but all I will say to that is the opening several minutes of Alien 3 more or less completely destroys this entire book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, I mean, Alien 3 also, you know, wrecked itself, basically. But if you want to talk about how Alien 3 destroyed this comics canon, like, the first five minutes of the movie basically do it, and I won't say any more than that. For those of you who still haven't seen um, the masterpiece that is Alien, it's not even Alien 3, it's Alien to the Third Power, so let's let's get this right. (laughs) Feel free to jump on our Discord and ask Nick what exactly happened, because he'd love to tell you. I mean, it's David Fincher's best film, right? So, uh, (laughs) sure, sure. Well, really quick for me, I've uh, I've been reading through a lot of manga like i said i've been trying to read one piece um trying to catch up to before chapter 1000 comes out at the pace that i'm going on tell us i'm on 
286 right now. Okay. Wow. Um, so I'm not doing great, honestly, because I'm <laughs> not that, doing great. No, I, no, no. I started on January 1st. I'm not doing great in that I, I need to average like 20 to 30 chapters a week minimum oh. in order to like catch up before issue 1000 comes out. Okay. So I don't know. I, I, I need to actually do it. The problem is that I was reminded a couple weeks back on the show that Haikyuu is still out there and that I stopped in the middle of like a major story arc and I don't know why. So, and I, I'm talking, I stopped for two years or a year and a half almost. So hmm. I've been reading like arcs of Haikyuu and I've been loving it because volleyball manga is life. Um, but yeah, so I need to get down on this on this one piece thing. I need to read more. I need to like somehow carve out time to make sure that I'm hitting that 25 to 30 chapters a week in order to catch up. Um, but it's it's good. Like, don't get me wrong. It's really good story. It's just it's it's still a lot to read. But otherwise, my whole life has just been playing Dungeons and Dragons with people. Like, I've been running, I've ran three games, or I'm about to run my third game today as we record after this, of of this series of one-shots that I've been doing on our Discord for the, you know, folks on there. Um, and that's like between 12 people, I've been running three games, and um, I've also finished a huge game that I was running for three and a half years that ended a couple weeks ago. Um, and yeah, it's just like every people have free time. So we've just been playing D and D or, or different games like tales from the loop. My wife is running a game of that. I'm going to be playing in my wife. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's been good stuff, but, uh, otherwise, um, yeah, just been and playing Animal Crossing. Who, if you if you have a Switch, I imagine you probably are playing Animal Crossing. And if you aren't, that's okay, totally fine. Um, but if but you know, I've been spending a lot of time doing that too. So, yeah, um, I guess we're gonna be talking about stuff like this in the future. Let us know what you think. Um, but anyways, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about oversized comic books and all that extra room you get for art. So we'll be back in just a second. For our show this week, we are talking about oversized comics. I'm talking about those big, huge comics you see, uh, you know, at your comic book shop that no one except for Ed Piscor apparently buys. You know, those <laughs> things that are like the deluxe super forever edition of Daredevil by Frank Miller or, you know, the humongous versions of, I think, what was it, Seven to Eternity had an edition of this book that came out. We're talking about those books that just have all the extra room for art, not necessarily just those humongous size books, but books in general that typically are a bit larger than your average comic book size in the modern era. So I, I know, Paul, you've got a lot of thoughts about this. I have some ideas about this. Nick is a blank slate on this. So <laughs> we're going to start with you, Paul. Like, what are your thoughts about these things? Do you like the extra room for art or do you hate them because you don't have anywhere to put them in your house? <laughs> I'm, I'm, of, <laughs> I'm of two minds on, on this. Uh, I definitely understand the struggle of trying to fit them into a long box or onto a bookshelf. But, you know... The idea of having a bigger page, more room for artwork, I, I think is is really interesting. And I like the idea of people experimenting with the size and shape of comics. You know, comics you can mm-hmm. do anything with. Why does it have to be the same size for all of them? So, The infinite canvas. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> I guess my idea for this topic was to think about um, why certain books, especially recently, I'm why you're seeing more books that are outside of the traditional comic book format size um i know historically dc and marvel have done treasury editions like i I have the uh the uh one shot that's the jack kirby 2001 uh, film adaptation and the thing is huge rightfully so because it's an amazing looking book you know or i have my absolute all-star superman which is bigger than the normal edition 
rightfully so, because Frank Wiley's artwork is amazing. It should be as big as it, you can get. Mm-hmm. But when mm-hmm. you go to the shop now and you see like the black black label stuff that DC is doing, like um, the Joker books, like the what are they called Killer Smile or whatever. Uh, I didn't pick it up, obviously. Um, or the Wonder Woman Dead Earth books that yeah. Danny Warren Johnson's doing. Why those now? Because it seems like the market is so focused on making sure it's collectible and can fit in your long box. Why is DC doing those choices now? That's kind of why I pitched this idea. My argument would be the Danny Warren Johnson book, especially Wonder Woman Dead Earth, deserves to be big because it looks awesome. So, yeah. right? It warrants that size. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I was thinking about this topic is sometimes these books deserve this extra space they or they need the extra space because there is room for that art, right? Yeah. This isn't just like larger panels or anything like that. Like this is Daniel Warren Johnson going full, like full keel, keel into this humongous splash page of like monsters fighting against Wonder Woman. And that's yeah. fucking cool as shit. Yes. I mean, I will say Joker Killer Smile, I was one of the people that bought into this because it's Jeff Lemire and, and Andrea Sorrentino and like that's a great combo it's not that great of a book in my opinion Oof. but it's it's still like guys a I'm beautiful... logging off sorry <laughs> it's, just a... it's still a beautiful book like like the art that Sorrentino delivers in that mm-hmm. is in fucking credible um some very very gross but beautiful things in that book I think like if you really like the way that things look in um shit what's their book that they're doing right now nick gideon falls gideon falls thank you i think you would really like the look of this book i I don't know if you'll enjoy the story like you really got to be like a a person that wants another joker story (laughs) um but really it's it is a gorgeous book i think like it allowed sorrentino to try to do some really wild things with his art um while still staying inside of the dcu but yeah, but Wonder Woman Dead Earth, man, I get that. <laughs> totally get <laughs> yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. And I guess that that's kind of my my thought then too. It's like it the size has to warrant. The, I guess let me back up. The size needs to be warranted by. There needs to be a reason for it, right? And I yeah, think yeah. you know those examples are obvious. I think that the historic examples I was thinking of, like the old, if you see the old like Savage Sword of Conan books, you know, in the dusty back bins of your local shop, those are big magazine sized mm-hmm. comics. And they're clearly aimed at collectors back in the day when back in the seventies, most people were buying comics at the newsstand or after the spinner rack at the you know, supermarket. So if you're going to a shop, you're uh, buying something special. And I think those, that's why those exist. The markets clearly change and most people are going to comic shops to buy comics. And again, they don't want something that's not going to be able to fit into the regular long box. So right. the shift in the marketing, the shift in the uh, the industry has kind of been interesting to see. And I think the size of books reflect that, which makes it all the more interesting to see DC trying something else with the size of the books. Uh, Nick, I feel like you would have thoughts about uh, being able to collect <laughs> these things. Uh, yeah. This is, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think um, I, I think the fact that everyone at the top of the show was like, oh, you've probably seen these in your shop or you've probably encountered these. Of course you fucking have, because your shop doesn't know where to put them either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they don't have a place either. That's why they're being prominently displayed, because one, they don't know what to do, and two, they want them gone. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I, I I don't have that many. I have a few. I think, as you rightly got at, I think part of it is just that, like, 
comics is sort of like a, de- a descending chain of dominoes, right? Like you buy your books, and that means you have to buy your bags, and that means you have to buy your boards, and that means for your more special issues, you have to buy the the harder plastic or whatever to preserve them in or whatnot. And of course, with each different size of comics that you get into, you're going through that whole chain that whole iteration once more and so like for me like I've never really gotten into these because I know okay now I need to buy the specialty box now I need to buy the specialty bags and boards Mm -hmm. and all this other stuff and it's like I'm just not even going to do that because the alternative is that you just try to jam it into your conventional comics box and much like trying to just like mash a puzzle together when you don't have the last piece you're just trying to just squish things in there or you know that eventually you'll end up like denting it or something like eventually sure. you'll just close the lid too hard and just break it so um that's why i just haven't um haven't really gotten into it but i think what is interesting is that one i mean i can't speak to the joker stuff i haven't read that yet and i I maybe eventually, even though as we've talked about, and I've probably said on the show, we don't maybe need another Joker story. I'm sure DC <laughs> doesn't want to hear. I'm sure they've got their ears plugged the moment I said that. So, right. um, but I, I do question people returning to it now, with sort of one exception, which is that I think single issues in weird formats now is just fucking goofy. Like unless it's digital. Right. Like if you're talking about something like Private Eye, where you've got these very weird page layouts. And I think Private Eye was because they were trying to design it for web layout first. And then they didn't mm-hmm. want to distort that when it got published in right. in hard copy. Um, like, I don't understand anyone going back to it now unless we're talking about trades doing collections of old stuff because at that point like i'm sure we've seen some of those idw master collections that are just like the attention to detail is is perfect like they're going to get the book the size it was because they're not going to distort the artwork they don't want to stretch it they don't want to you know tweak it they want it to deliver be delivered exactly as it was and i think Mm -hmm. in those situations having that as like a big book yeah maybe it's a slightly oversized book on your bookshelf Mm -hmm. but like that's nowhere as big of a problem as like having this flimsy little single oversized comic that you just like where do i put this like how do i keep this from like not getting ruined right right so um i think like as a trade idea i think it's totally fine to keep that up but in terms of like modern single issues um I mean, it's no different than what you said about when these magazine comics came out back in the 70s, Paul. Like, it's it's a collector's thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I can tell you that uh, part of my struggle of being a Love and Rockets fan is I've been going back and trying to buy the original run um, in single issues because I have all the trades um, because that's the kind of person I am. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that series, that series, the first volume is the magazine sized, you know, ones and luckily my local shop when they get issues in they have mag they're all of their like oversized comics and magazines in one section so i can check there for love and rockets very easily the problem is that love and rockets the second volume is traditional comic book size hmm. um oh and now and, we talk about publishing inconsistencies here yes. we go <laughs> and and but but then now the current volume of love and rockets which started uh, i think two years ago they brought it back um that's back to the magazine size so it's back to the oh original format um, which is making collecting it kind of a headache. Uh, but I, that's one of those things like I'm so invested in that 
that I've, I've I'll happily buy the magazine size poly bags. I'll probably have to get a magazine size long box at some point, but mm-hmm. again, I am a collector of that series. So it makes sense for me to do that. You know, it it doesn't seem that, um, too much of a hassle. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you bring this up because I, I, for, I, I totally relate to that. Cause like, <laughs> I think like the X-Men grand design book felt like it's the size of a regular comic book, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But those treasury edition books are humongous, you know, <laughs> like, and, and I mean like hip hop family trees kind of the same way. Right. Cause <clears throat> if we're talking about Ed Piscor, like I think the dude draws much bigger than your standard comic book, but then he realizes he needs to like compress it down. And so he shaves off edges and stuff. Yeah. But you know, to see that book in its full glory inside of the, the, collected edition i mean i i almost wonder why they didn't just publish the entire collected edition rather than try to get the singles if they were just i mean it's obviously for money that's why they did it there's no there's no reason <laughs> you know for, to answer. do it other than yeah. money um but that being said i definitely prefer even just reading it in those treasury editions those books yeah. are huge like you you ha- you can't read them outside in a windy day you will take off from the ground um but Honestly, like it looks so much better. It's so much clearer um, in those huge editions than it is in the single issue because the single issues are like sixty pages and they weigh five pounds somehow, yeah. <laughs> and like they're really flimsy and stuff. But the the treasury editions with that nice, I don't know what kind of paper um, that they use, like the newspaper paper or whatever, yeah. um, is is super duper nice. And I I don't know why you would want to read it in any other format <laughs> other than for collector reasons. Like I picked up all the single issues of that run and mm-hmm. some variants because it's fucking beautiful. Um, <laughs> but did I need to do that? Probably not. But um, I don't know. I, I, I do like the, the oversized collected edition because it, it's just a better book overall. Yeah. And obviously that's, that's a reference to the Marvel treasury editions that they, again, were doing in the seventies and eighties where mm-hmm. it sometimes be reprints of old stories or sometimes be new material um, published in that huge format. And again, I think it's appealing because you get more space for the artwork. You know, I have, I have the first uh, issue of their Star Wars adaptation that um, uh, Howard Chaykin did, yeah. um, and it, it's huge. It doesn't even fit in a magazine-sized poly bag. It's enormous, and it's kind of great because of that. Again, collecting that stuff is a hassle, but most of the time, I think it's justified, you know, in terms of the yeah. art size. So, yeah, I still haven't been able to justify buying one of those big artist editions that they've been doing that idw does where it's like the original bristol board size you know where you can right. get like oh yeah you can see oh, jack yeah. kirby's artwork in the original like format it's like god i'd love to have that stuff but first off how do you afford it and second off where do you fuck do you put it in your house so yeah you yeah. need an entire room with a dedicated lectern for you to put the book down <laughs> right. i'm just so assuming the- you never put it down you're just reading it you know in in per- perpetuity <laughs> right mm-hmm. yeah I, th- I think it's interesting, too, to see um, if you are someone like me that likes digging through the dusty, cobwebbed corners of your local comic shop, the weird stuff that was coming out in the the sort of black and white comics boom, the indie boom of the late 80s, you know, where you'd have like Art Spiegelman's Raw, which was a huge book, like that's even bigger than magazine size, or I mentioned huh. the Alan Moore book that Alan Moore and Bill Sienkiewicz did, Big Numbers. That book was actually published by Moore himself since he couldn't find a publisher, which is wrap your head around that. Like those two guys couldn't find someone to publish their book. Um, But that's published the, I have the physical books and they're like, they're a 10 by 10 square. They're not even like magazine size. And it's like, again, that type of experimentation I think is fascinating, but I, maybe the direct market kind of squashed that at a certain point where it's not as marketable, obviously, you know, to collectors. 
I mean, I'm just imagining to... Alan Moore taking Watchmen to Kinko's and just printing <laughs> off a bunch of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I think, like, I, I don't necessarily think that people dislike that because, I, don't get me wrong, I go to zine fests, or oh, I, sure. you know, I don't yeah. go to zine fests necessarily. I go to, I go to like, smaller conventions, um, and, you know, I'll pick up weird-sized and shaped zines. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that because it's, usually they're smaller, and even if they are bigger... Um, like they aren't, you know, 16 by 16 or 16 by 28 inches, you know, or anything yeah. huge. Um, that's not even that big, but, but even still like they're, they're not anything that I can't necessarily put on a bookshelf. Right. Um, but I think the reason why the direct market has, you know, funneled things down to a specific size is because of, you know, there's, there's printer, you know, costs and concerns and all that stuff. And like the more normalized shape you can make your comic, the easier it is to produce, <laughs> um, but there is something to be said. I think that that stuff is even more collectible if it's in an odd shape, if it's in an odd thing. It's just the 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 matter of preserving it is much harder, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it does require a sort of investment, both monetary and you know, being able to put up with it and finding space for it. And I think, luckily, most of the stuff I've bought, I've been able to justify that because it, I like the artwork so much, or I like the creators, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it does have that sort of that's something you can't replicate digitally that that sort of like uniqueness of those physical objects so the the um the eternally unsatisfied and uh collector in me will always kind of like that stuff you know i mean that being said i will say reading joker killer smile and the wonder woman dead dead earth is perfect on an ipad like i like i know that those books are kind of odd shaped and they're not that much different than you know your standard book they're a little bit wider um but when you put it on a digital screen i mean like there's not that much of a difference instead of having black bars on the side you have black bars on the top but i mean if you're depending on what device you're reading on right because if you're reading on like a kindle fire then it's kind of a weird squashed image that you have to rotate and zoom and all that stuff Mm -hmm. um but yeah, those those books worked worked great when I was reading on an iPad. So perfect for me. Fuck everybody else, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tim Cook, please send us that money you promised us. Yeah, yeah, that's right. my monthly yeah. plug that I need to make. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think it's 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 interesting to see like you know to kind of I mean skew a little bit away from the the main topic here <laughs> is to see you know creators try to create books in different formats to make their story work. Like yeah. for instance, Check Please is a is a webcomic <clears throat> slash published comic now. I mean they're they're no longer just a webcomic um, by Nagozi that is a beautiful book. It's a very cute book about hockey and, and baking and weird combo and how those those things those things come together. There's a romantic <laughs> under underlying story. Um, it's very, very well done. Uh, I'm not doing a good job of summing it up, but I really think that everybody should go check that out. You can read it all for free online. Um, and it's done in a in a in a landscape format. Hmm. Um hmm. That, so when it's but when it's collected, it's collected in a different way because the it the web version of it also includes like gifts. It also includes different pieces of web specific technology sure. um, that has to be collected in a very unique way. And so you end up with this odd shaped book, kind of like Private Eye, mm-hmm. where um, the book doesn't necessarily fit perfectly on your shelf. I mean, it's that's not... an understatement. That's a massive. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I have a copy of I have a copy of Private Eye, and it is a fucking weird book. It's the weirdest goddamn shaped book I've ever owned. In my life it's super because it's narrow rectangle yeah, it's super narrow whereas check please is a little bit more square i guess in comparison um it, it's not perfectly a square but it's not nearly as extreme in terms of length um but it's interesting to see you know how like that book like that could have been told in a traditional format style could have been told in a in a more vertical 
um, focused shape, but instead you flip it on its side and they're able to deliver different different layouts for the story. And I wonder yeah. how much of that comes into consideration for creators when they're thinking about how to tell their story or when they're when a writer is working with an artist to try to develop a story. Yeah. Yeah. And some a similar example I was thinking of, I was actually shocked when I saw the uh, copies of Superman uh, Smashes the Clan in my pull box because that's published in the sort of digest format. You know what I mean? It's a oh, much it's a smaller. Bit smaller. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's actually a lot smaller. And um, oh, weird. And I think the 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 idea behind that is like they're trying to appeal to uh, like a young adult audience with that book. So it's like it's published the size you'd probably see more digest comics or young adult uh, OGNs published in that size as opposed to mm-hmm. a traditional comic book size. So, but I didn't realize that when I when I you know pulled it from my shop and I go in I'm like. Why is this book so small? Like, <laughs> did I become so big? Like, what <laughs> right. happened? Yeah. It, it didn't take Superman that long to to deal with. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he just you know page one he shows up, page two clan smashed the end. Right? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, yeah. That's still that's be a satisfying story. I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it's 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 curious. I mean, to think about stuff like that because like. I don't know. I, 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 this is where like web comics become super interesting to me because when it comes to page layout and stuff like that, there's so much more room, right? Yeah. Um, to, to try to bring it into the the digital discussion. I mean, Paul, I know you said like the collector's unique uniqueness that you get out of these like strange size book and stuff is like yeah. a really great thing. But I also think that there is something to be said about like something like a check please or something like strip comics where they can play around with their format. And in fact, their format becomes part of a gag in some cases yeah. for like, you know, strip comics in particular, where normally it's like maybe three or four panels. But then when the creator does something different where they do like a traditional style, you know, comic or they make it, you know, more rectangular or more square based, you know, that'd be vastly different. Um, it changes things in such a way that creator or readers know, oh, this is a special issue of this, of this comic that I'm reading. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah. I mean, that's maybe a bigger topic for another show we could revisit is this idea. Sure. That, no, no, no. Let's do it right okay, now. Okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> Hope you guys brought lunch because we're, we're in for the long haul. Um, yeah. Um, the, the idea of the, the, um, the, well, how do I want to phrase it? The way that comic books, comic books themselves are a weird medium regardless. Um, mm-hmm. But the the way that the format has been sort of standardized among the big two and every, pretty much every other publisher that's shipping monthly periodical comics, that's been set for so long that when you see something that breaks it, whether it's an oversized book or a digital comic that's experimenting with that size and shape stuff, it feels like such a breath of fresh air, you know? And I think that's, it speaks to, on one hand, the limitless potential of comics as a medium, and the other hand, the limitations that the direct market has put on that. So, you know? Yeah. I mean, because if, if a comic book publisher has to justify a different, you know, printing size and all this other stuff, it really, th- this is why the, the books cost maybe an extra buck, or at least that's maybe that's what DC's telling us. Um, <laughs> but even even still, it is it is something that is that makes them very unique. And maybe that's yeah. what DC was trying to do with those books to, mm-hmm. to kind of ring, bring it back to Joker and Wonder Woman, is they were trying to say, look at how different these books look on the shelf compared to other books. And even, even on Comixology, right? If you pulled up those books side by side in their little like uh, carousel 
all that they do. You know, you would see distinct shapes and sizes that are different than the normal book. And I think that's one of the more interesting things that Comixology and, and does that makes it feel like you're in a comic book shop is that you can see a bunch of books at once. Mm-hmm. And then you can see those those differences. So when you're looking at all the DC books side by side, you go, oh, wow, why is that Joker book a little bit wider and a little bit shorter than the other one? What makes it so different? Yeah. Um, I think it catches your eye a little bit, especially when you're comparing a, a slew of different DC books all side by side, and they're all pretty much the same size, except for this one book. It maybe catches your eye a little bit better. And I think that works online and in a, in a comic book shop. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a weird marketing ploy on one hand, but sure. like I said earlier, I think most of the cases, especially with the Wonder Woman book, the art uh, justifies that, that that different size and the inflated price as well. So, yeah. yeah. Well, what about the lenticular cover um, oh, that I okay, could have yes. gotten on that? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's 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 something that like makes these decision or i don't i would really love to talk to a comic book creator about like how they make the decision for like the size and shape of their book because i think like there's got to be some sort of process or maybe some creators are just thinking no i'm gonna just make this in a standard comic book because like you think of someone like who is prolific in making their own books and publishing them independently someone like kyle starks right (laughs) for some reason he comes to mind but like he he always it seems like puts out his books in pretty much the same size format and i wonder if doing something a little bit different has ever come to mind mind for someone like him who has full creative control over all of his books like that he at least publishes on you know kickstarter and all that kind of stuff yeah um yeah and then there's, all, there's yeah go ahead go ahead I would say, on top of that the sort of the business decisions that go into that if you're a smaller publisher your decision to say like look i'm gonna make a book that's going to be inconvenient for people to collect you know or for people to display mm-hmm. that you're taking a monetary hit there you think you're kind of limiting your your exposure so you really have to say does the artistic integrity and value of that book outweigh the potential loss of sales I'm going to have by limiting my exposure, you know, in comic shops. So, well, that's, that's really interesting that you say that because I think that that is kind of a limited mindset in terms of how people collect their books. Sure. Right. Because I mean, if you're, you're just assuming, and I'm not trying to necessarily stab you in the throat with this, but like, (laughs) you know, if you assume that people are collecting their books, yeah, all, all in the same way, like they all have, short or long boxes at home, I mean, that kind of puts a limiter on how you think maybe people collect them. The only reason I bring this up is because I saw a Kickstarter video, or I saw a video from a Kickstarter creator that I follow, sorry, Um, and he was like showing how he had, like when he moved into his new house, he put all of his comics in the closet of this room that he had. Um, It was like an extra bedroom or something, and inside he had no long boxes or short boxes he had all of his single issue comics stacked up side by side sure. in bags and boards but stacked on a shelf and i was like what how the fuck oh. in my brain it didn't work but no. he was he was so proud about how he had collected all of his books and all of his graphic novels and stuff and all had put them on the wall to show off in a, to a certain extent um so that he could basically have access to everything all at once without having to dig through boxes and i I mean that's maybe non-traditional maybe i i heard cringing through the microphone i think (laughs) from both of you where it's like well what the fuck are you doing those things are going to fall over and get bent and broken and all this other stuff but you know if they're packed in tightly i mean what what i'm saying is like i think people hold and collect and store their books in a lot of different ways and it's it's interesting a lot of wrong ways (laughs) well but it's interesting to think how those other formats 
can be beneficial or like detrimental to the the different ways that people collect them. I yeah. think not to again, I'm mostly just playing devil's advocate here, Paul, <laughs> because I think the vast majority of people collect books in in long boxes and short boxes. I'm, right. I'm maybe maybe it's not a vast majority, but even still, I think there is a majority of people that do that because it's just kind of the way that comics you know they do things right um but um even then i think when you think about going to a, a, a smaller comic convention or something and collecting weird zines and and other stuff that don't fit that conventional format um i i, I don't know if storing them in the same way is is the way that people do things i don't know um right. it, and again that's that's like limited market distribution stuff is a full publisher going to say we're only publishing four by three comics that's it that's all that we do <laughs> um but i mean when you think about prose books or you think about you know scholastic publishing young adult books in like these digest formats like that's a decision that's made in order yeah. to say we're going to distribute like this and all of our books of this format or style are going to be published like this um there, there are clearly business decisions i don't but i don't know if it necessarily limits them in sure. any way yeah yeah um it's it I, i'd be curious to see the balance between the the uh the business decision and the artistic decision as i said you know like how do yeah, you how do yeah. you count weigh those two and you know i think that uh, if if the reading experience is going to be enhanced by an alternate format or a bigger page size then by all means do it because you're saying this book is important and it needs to be read in this size so that that, mm-hmm. that that is a statement that i that i certainly appreciate in value yeah 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 well nick um so do you want to just list off all the reasons why we're wrong and what we were talking <laughs> about and <laughs> i mean honestly like I, I think i just what you've said kind of only kind of doubles down on my uh original point which is that i think i think this is an argument that's a lot easier to make if it's a book like because books show up in all weird shapes and sizes all of the time and nobody tends to get bent out of shape over that um outside of again the private eye which honestly like that book should have like <laughs> like w- like backing up lights on it more or less like when it's on your bookshelf so it doesn't completely clothesline you when you walk past it um <laughs> but uh I, people don't people don't have this problem with books people have this problem with single issues and so i think that that's still honestly the big thing for me um honestly if they if 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 what they did was the artist said you know it's really important to me i want my book in these weird fucking dimensions and the editor didn't immediately hang up on them assuming the call continued um i think that what could happen is you could say like don't do this for single issues, that'd be crazy, but when we publish it in book form, um, I'd like to restore the actual dimensions at that point, and I think that that Hmm. makes a lot more sense to me. I think that, um, I think especially as we've seen with, like, publishing older stuff, it's a real appeal, there's a real appeal factor with that to, to collectors, but yeah, the long and short of it is, I just don't really understand why modern single issues do it um <laughs> nick end likes of story. comics one way and only one way <laughs> and if right. you change oh boy oh no i'm not even saying like i'm i'm gonna get upset about it whatever i just uh i i i don't know how anyone can convince anyone else especially in the publishing field gotcha. you know to do it it's just <laughs> i don't know um 
Well, we're gonna maybe get it's DC... just all of my secondary stress from like trying to distinguish between silver bags and gold bags and modern bags <laughs> right, yeah. and current bags. And I remember one time I was like, "Modern and current bags aren't the same thing," and they're like, "No, they're not the same thing at all." And I'm like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, yeah, I've I've done that before. I think sure. I still somewhere in in my in like a storage bin, I have like a bag of fifty silver bags or something like that that I bought on accident one time, Oops. not reading what the label was. It just said comic book bags, and I was like, "Cool." It's like only for comics published between and these years. And then you have that years. moment where you're like, "This is close enough, right?" And you put yeah. the comic in, and you're yeah. like, "Fuck." Yeah, you see all that all that waggly <laughs> plastic space. Oh God, yeah. Um, <laughs> So now I got to go buy, you know, 50 copies of God Loves Man Kills so that I can put them in the bag. <laughs> right, right. Mike's like, I've got 46 already. We're almost there. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Join my uh, Patreon. You know, th- totally, totally random, random aside regarding that. I was at a comic convention, I think the first year at C2E2, and my buddy picked up, he was just going through a back issue bin, and he found like a very, very well-preserved copy of God Loves Man Kills for like mm-hmm. seven bucks. Nice. And Whoa. I was like, yeah, man, why would you want to read that old comic? That's stupid, because I had never read it before, right? <laughs> flash forward you know five years later i'm sitting down i'm reading through that i let me be completely honest i was reading through chuck austin's run of uncanny x-men i can hear the fans already cringing um and and <laughs> chris Cla- or chuck austin fan. i think did or no maybe it's a chris claremont book i was reading through something around that era right of chris claremont and chuck austin and someone else writing three bo- x-men books that all kind of tied into each other and one of them was a response to god loves man kills mm-hmm. um I, I think it was the claremont book in in extreme x-men and in the back of that trade the god loves man kills was printed and i was like oh this is really dope and i read it and i was like holy shit this is the best x-men book i've ever read in my entire fucking life what the <laughs> hell and then i call up my buddy and i was like you still have a copy of that he's like yeah you're never getting it from me <laughs> Um, and I, it was, it was a bummer mostly because I think that that same place at C2E2 had another copy for the same price. And I was like, old comics are stupid. Um, so I will forever be kicking myself um, about that. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. Do you guys have any, any, any other final thoughts about this <laughs> now that I've tangented it away? And then that guy tried to sell you the one issue of 2001 that Paul's missing. And you're like, I told you old comics are stupid. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Who it out of cares his hands about that and... comic book? 2001 was a dumb movie anyway. Um, <laughs> Young Mike was a piece of shit. I just want to tell you guys, he was awful. Um, <laughs> um, anyways, yeah. So yeah, final thoughts. Anything else you guys want to mention about this topic before we wrap up? Um, I think I've said all I need to say. I'm just curious to know um, if that format for like Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, or the Joker book, if that if it's ever prevented anyone from buying those books, I'd be curious to hear that. If that size is a put off as opposed to a, 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 an incentive. So yeah, yeah. Let us know for sure. Nick, what about you? Anything? I would just, you know, listeners out there, if you if you have oversized books that you you love or you enjoy, or if you own the original and you own the oversized and you feel there's a demonstrable difference that you want to tell us about, I would I would sh- share with us your your love of oversized books because um um I'm not really there right now, so um <laughs> maybe you can take me there. Uh, Gotcha. Take you there. He wants to go there. Take him there. He wants to go there. Um, bad <laughs> reference a to a bad song. Are you having a? Yeah, I'm, I'm also yeah having a problem in my brain. So we're gonna wrap up the show here. Um, you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Paul at Ohio Paul. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow me at Mike Rappin. You can follow the show at IRCB Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. 
This show, as well as our other subscriber-only episodes, are powered by fans like you on Patreon. You can go over there and find all sorts of bonus content. Join us now at patreon.com slash ircbpodcast. And if you haven't already, please rate and review the show. Five stars would be my suggestion on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We would also love it if you would join us on Discord. That's ircbpodcast.com forward slash Discord for regular audio hangouts and make sure to tell a friend or two about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Xander is a high wizard, a great GM, and just, you know, someone that gives great high fives when you see him. He's also the editor of our our show. I want to say thank you to Paul and Nick for being on this episode, and thank you to everyone out there for listening. And until next time, stay safe, wash your hands, comics are good, and so are you. Thank you.